0: Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Kiddos, it's just a couple few days away. I know it's an exciting time. There's more and more gifts going underneath our tree every day, so the anticipation and the excitement is building. Today we're going to finish up a series we've been in for 10 weeks now. This is the 10th and final week called Essential Truth. We've been going through all of the big ideas in systematic theology. You see them up there on the screen. We looked at the doctrine of God, that triangle, Father, Son, and Spirit, the doctrine of the Scriptures. and We love the Bible so much, we put two Bibles up here. My wife pointed that out to me the other day. I said, no, there's not two Bibles on there. And I went and looked this morning, and sure enough, there they are. We looked at the doctrine of God, the doctrine of Scripture, the doctrine of angels and demons and Satan. We then looked at the doctrine of man, The doctrine of sin. And then we looked at the doctrine of Christ and salvation. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Last week with Ryan Prater, the doctrine of the church. And then finally today, the doctrine of the end times. say, wow, what a Christmas sermon, huh? The doctrine of the end times. But you can always make the connection if you look hard enough, huh? Probably the most famous Christmas song is probably not a Christmas song at all. Probably the most famous Christmas song is Joy to the World. And I make the mistake, if you could call it a mistake, of thinking this is a, this is a song about looking back to the, to the birth of Jesus Christ. And the angels said, this is a day of great joy. A Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord. Joy to the world. And that's not such a bad thing, but listen to the words of the song. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Could be his first coming, or it could be his second. Keep listening. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. There's a clue. Jesus Christ has come not only to redeem humanity, but to redeem the whole creation. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. Jesus came. Not just to save a people for himself, but again to renew the whole world and to reverse the curse. Not just the curse as it relates to us, but the curse as it relates to all of the creation. And he has come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness, and wonders of his love. So I don't want to ruin it for us, but joy to the world, I think, is more about the second coming of Jesus Christ than it is about the first, but it's still a great song to sing at Christmas because you can't have this one without this one. Joy to the world, Christ indeed has come, and he will come again. We look to the future this morning, to the coming of Christ and all that, or at least some of what he will accomplish, but we all wonder about the future, don't we? We all wonder about the future. Bible studies can often grow when you study things like the book of Revelation or consider that you're going to think about things about the future. Even my men's Friday morning Bible study, we've been going through Deuteronomy lately. And yet in Deuteronomy 29 and 30, God is making promises to his people that seemingly are reaching far into the future. And even that discussion brought up lots of opinions and thoughts about what God is doing in the world and will be doing in the world to come. And so we'll talk about a few of those things this morning, but don't get your hopes up too much. We only have about 40 minutes, but before we think about the end, one thing to consider in the doctrine of end times or the doctrine of the future is to ponder your end and mine. Certainly when we think about eschatology or end times, we think about the rapture of the church, the tribulation, the rise of the Antichrist, the millennial reign, the great white throne judgment, the new heavens and the new earth and when these things are going to happen and how they all fit together and different this and different that. But we just as much need to think about our own end Jesus Christ can return at any time. But unless he has different plans for you and me, which he well may have, all of us are going to face death. And on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come, we sing. One of these days, our strength is going to fail. The end will draw near. Our time will come. What happens to you and to me when we die? We've talked about this before, but if you are a Christian, let's just walk through it briefly again, because I think it can be a good reminder For us, and hopefully, a steadying reminder. Whenever your time comes and my time comes, whenever we die, our spirit will separate from our body, and our lifeless body will remain, and our spirit will go immediately into the presence of God. The Apostle Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul wasn't so sure if he wanted to keep on living or if he wanted to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better, he said. When your life ends, when my life ends as a Christian, our spirit immediately goes into the presence of God. You've heard me say maybe before, I'm not so sure if there's even a blip in consciousness from this life into the next, but it's probably one big, oh man, this is awesome. We will take your body, do what we do with it, and bury it. Might I just say, for those of you who are considering cremation, I would just encourage you to read up on why historically, for the last 2,000 years, Christians have buried their dead rather than burn them. I'm not saying that cremation is wrong. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it. But I just want you to consider that for 2,000 years, the strong tradition of God's people has been not to burn their dead, but to bury their dead for at least two reasons and probably more. Number one, the body is good. The body that God created for you and for me is good. And secondly, that body is going to be raised from the dead immortal. My mama passed away earlier this year. And when she did, she immediately went into the presence of the Lord. We took her body and we put it into that coffin and we buried her Plano Mutual Cemetery. And her body is buried east and west. Her head is pointing to the west. Her eyes are pointing to the east. Why? Because Jesus said, as lightning flashes from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Ever wondered why bodies are buried east-west and not north-south? And ever wondered why the heads are always set to the west and the eyes are looking to the east? It's because of the expectation that Jesus Christ is going to return one day, and when he does, all of God's people will be raised bodily from the dead. He will transform the body of your humble estate into conformity with the body of his glory. Just as Jesus, when he died upon the cross, his spirit went to be with his heavenly father, and his body went into that tomb tomb. And yet three days later, they went in looking and the body was gone. The same will happen for you and for me, for all of those who are in Christ. And so we will take your body and we will bury it. And I don't have the time, but just as a side note. If that comes for you or that comes for a loved one, and as is a reality, the realities in today's world of how expensive it can be for burial plots and for all that goes on with burying a body. And if it's just too much financially, but that's what you would want to do for yourself or for one of your loved ones, talk to us about it. I'm almost sure you're a church family would love to come alongside you in that time of need and to help with that. Don't let finances be the reason why you would go a different direction. So your body will be put into the grave awaiting the resurrection and at the coming of Christ, your body will be raised. The Apostle Paul and 1 Corinthians 15 lays out this doctrine of the resurrection, not only the resurrection of Christ, but the resurrection of his people who are in Christ. And he says, among many other things, that this mortal, and in fact, this dead will put on immortality. Raised to live forevermore, destined to Not for a cloud with a halo and a harp, but for a renewed heaven and earth. You and I will spend eternity not in some misty place, some ethereal place, some intangible place called heaven, the Bible is fast moving toward Revelation 21 and 22, when, G- when God will renew the heavens and the earth, and their righteousness will dwell forevermore. You and I will walk in the new heavens and the new earth, and we will see the beautiful trees and the gardens and the like, and it will be something to behold. And on that day, when my strength is failing, the end draws near, and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise forever, 10,000 years and then forevermore. If you are in Christ, death is not the final word for you. And so we die in hope. If you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, Some things are the same, and some things certainly are not. If you're not a Christian, when you die, your spirit is separated from your body. But your spirit, rather than going immediately into the presence of God, goes to a place that the Bible calls Hades, which seems to be some sort of holding place of spirits before the final resurrection and final judgment. Your body, just like a Christian's, will often be embalmed and will be buried. But if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, have not had your sins forgiven, have not been reconciled to God, then that hope that at the coming of Christ your body will be resurrected, to enjoy the new heavens and the new earth forevermore is not your hope. I don't know if you realize it, but the Bible teaches that the bodies of unbelievers will, too, be raised. They, too, will be resurrected, will stand before God, will be judged And then I'll let the Bible speak for itself in Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne and the books were opened. So they've been raised the unbelieving dead raised and standing before God, and the books are opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Whew. Merry Christmas. Welcome to Redeemer Community Church. Friends, if you do not know Christ, you must. He is God's provision for your sin and mine. He was the eternal Son of God. He is the eternal Son of God who took to Himself humanity. He took to Himself flesh in the virgin mother or in the womb of his virgin mother, Mary. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, that God became a man. The video said it, God with us, Emmanuel. And he came on a mission. He came born to die. He lived a holy life that you couldn't live and I could not live. And then he went to a cross. And there on that cross, he became sin. He himself had not sinned, but he took upon himself sins. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. He died in your place and for your sins. He took On himself, in himself, the wrath of God meant for you and me. And then God raised him from the dead, vindicating him. That he is who he said that he is. And he accomplished what he said he had come to do. He's the Savior of the world. And by trusting in him, your sins are forgiven and you are made right with god and you die in hope looking to the day when you shall be with him forever and forever so that's a little bit of talk about your end and mine let's talk about if we can the end and when i say that i talk i mean these more controversial things, like not so much what's going to happen to me when I die, but what's going to happen in the future. I think we have to come to that question with at least two essential attitudes, and I sure hope that they're attitudes that you find in me, and I'd like us to all have them. The first attitude related to these kinds of things is humility. Humility. These are the kinds of questions that we can so often be so certain about. Or at least many can seem to be so certain about them. But the reality is that good men, good women, coming to the Scriptures with humble hearts and diligent eyes, seeking to understand the Scriptures, come to different opinions on these kinds of things. In the book, The Drama of Scripture, Finding Our Place in the Biblical Story, the authors put it like this. Unfortunately, these end-time events have often stirred fruitless controversy among Christians, believers often try to establish a cosmic timetable into which they can slot known historical events but since there are so much so but since there are many such timetables in competition this sort of curiosity about what god will do how he will do it and especially when he will do it too often merely breeds debate and dispute among believers who should know better there are different understandings among various groups of Christians concerning details of the time of Christ's return, the millennium, the rapture, the final judgment, the Antichrist, and the tribulation. Yet David Lawrence reminds us that fixing our attention on such things is a bit like becoming obsessed with the nature, strength, and frequency of birth pangs when we should be thinking about the baby. Though the labor pains of end-time events can be fascinating, We must give due attention to the new world to be born out of them. And so our focus here is on the baby, the new world waiting to be born. And so they go on in their book to not get into debates about the rapture of the church, the antichrist, and that kind of thing, and just move on to the new heavens and new earth. Well, good for them, right? But maybe there's some wisdom in it as well. Certainly, these are things that we should study. We ought to seek to understand the revelation which God has given to us. But I would just urge upon you, as I urge upon myself, let's be humble. And with our good friends with whom we might disagree, let's be kind. Even among those of us who may agree, on the big things about the future. We still disagree on a lot of the minor things about the future. And so let's all just come to these sorts of things. Number one, with humility. But number two, second attitude I think we all need to have, is a dogmatism when the Bible's clear. When the Bible's clear, let's be dogmatic. When it's not so clear, let's not be so dogmatic. But when it's clear about what is to come, let's be dogmatic. And I think, along with others, there are at least two things that Bible-believing Christians ought to be dogmatic about when it comes to the end times. The first, the second coming of Jesus Christ. The eternal Son of God, who became a man, who lived a holy life and died a substitutionary death upon the cross, who bodily rose from the dead, ascended into heaven and sat down at his Father's right hand, is there today, and one day he's coming back in great glory and in great power. Some of y'all know these categories, others of you not, but some of you may be all millennial, some of you may be post-millennial, probably not any in here, but there may be. Some of you may be premillennial. But the reality is, whether you're all millennial, post-millennial, or premillennial, all of the good men and women who are one of those three or something else believe that Jesus Christ is coming back one day. In your understanding, you might just put it at a different place in your eschatological timeline. Jesus is coming back, friends. The second thing that we ought to hold tightly is the life everlasting for the saved and for the unsaved. We are Redeemer Community Church. We're a Baptist church. The Baptist Faith and Message 2000 puts it like this. God in his own time and in his own way will bring the world to its appropriate end. According to his promise, Jesus Christ will return personally and visibly in glory to the earth. The dead will be raised And Christ will judge all men in righteousness. The unrighteous will be consigned to hell, the place of everlasting punishment. The righteous in their resurrected and glorified bodies will receive their reward and will dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. A different tradition, a Presbyterian tradition, but boy, what a wonderful tradition. This is the Westminster shorter catechism. What is the misery of that estate whereinto man fell? All mankind by their lost communion, all mankind, excuse me, all mankind by their fall, lost communion with God are under his wrath and curse and so made liable to all the miseries in this life to death itself and to the pains of hell forever. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? At the resurrection, believers, being raised up in glory, shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. Friends, the doctrine of hell is a heavy and hard doctrine. But if you and I want to be faithful to the teaching of scripture, we've got to. Say that that is what the scripture teaches. And as we'll say, all of this in a few minutes is meant to lead us to hope. It's meant to drive us to holiness. And it's meant to spur us on to mission. So attitudes that you and I ought to bring towards our study of end time events I think humility let's study hard and let's have our convictions but let's let's hold them with a little bit loose of hands humility but where the Bible is clear let's be dogmatic the Bible's clear that Jesus Christ is coming back the Bible's clear that those who are saved will live forever with him and those who are not will be separated from him Forever. Now, the stuff that we might debate, ah-mill, post-mill, pre-mill. I learned a couple new jokes this week. Not really jokes, but new insights. You might be interested in them, right? Ah-millennialism, post-millennialism, pre-millennialism. I I certainly know about those, have read about those, have studied those. The old joke for me is that there's a fourth one called panmillennialism. It'll all pan out in the end. Maybe most of us are secretly that, right? Um, Another one I learned this week, A.T. Robertson was a phenomenal New Testament scholar at Southern Seminary in the early 1930s. He was asked what his millennial position was. He said, I'm pro-millennial. Whatever it is, I'm for it. Pretty good. And then the best, I'd never heard this, Corey Ten Boom. Y'all know who she was. She was the wonderful little Dutch girl, watchmaker, who along with her family hid Jews during World War II. Uh, she went on through her book, The Hiding Place, and, and others to just have a phenomenal influence. She says, When I'm asked about my millennial view, I think it is a preposterous question. Did y'all get that? A preposterous question. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Some of you are going, what in the world is all this post postmillennialism, pre-millennialism? What is that anyway? In Revelation chapter 20, the Apostle John talks about a thousand-year reign of Christ, a millennium. And depending on how you interpret the book of Revelation, there have been at least three main interpretations of that thousand-year reign of Christ. Amillennial, post-millennial, pre And then you can see why the pan-millennial comes along. Hey, man, it's just going to all pan out in the end. An amillennialist, and that's not, that's not such a good name for them. Amillennial means no millennium. And it gets that name because amillennialists believe that we are right now in the millennial kingdom. That there is no thousand-year reign of Christ to come in the future, and so they're ah millennial. To be fair, though, probably a better name for them is inaugurated millennialism, because in fact, what they believe is that yes, the millennial reign is a real thing, but that we're going, we're in it right now. When Jesus Christ came and lived and died and rose and was exalted to his Father's right hand, he began and inaugurated the reign of Christ. And that the thousand years that are spoken of are simply meant by the Apostle John to refer to a long period of time. And that Christ is reigning over his kingdom today. A lot more that could go into that and should be said, but broadly, that's what an amillennialist believes, or an inaugurated millennialist. Christ has inaugurated his reign over the whole world to to come in its fullness at his second coming in the new heavens and the new earth. A post-millennialist would say that we're not in the millennium now and Christ is not going to come before and establish that millennial reign. In fact, through the preaching of the Word of God to the ends of the earth in due time, there will be a great turning and a great ingathering of God's people the world over. Not that everyone will become Christians, but that the church's light will shine bright in society all over the world to such an extent that we will usher in, if you will, that kingdom of Christ after which Jesus Christ will come post-millennial and establish the new heavens and new earth forevermore. Not many of those folks around, as I understand it, but there's some. And then pre-millennial. So millennial, Jesus has established, inaugurated the kingdom when he ascended to his father's right now and he reigns over his kingdom now. And will come again to establish the new heavens and new earth. Postmillennial, Christ is not reigning over his kingdom now. In fact, though through the preaching of the gospel, that kingdom will come in and then afterwards he will come and establish the new heavens and new earth. Premillennial is that Christ has died and risen and he is at the father's right hand awaiting a day when he will return and establish his millennial reign upon the earth, after which will come the new heavens and the new earth. Well, Mitch, which one are you? What day is it? Sunday? And which side of the bed did I wake up on this morning? No. Put a gun to my head, I'm pre-millennial. I'm premillennial. send me to lunch with some of my friends here who are all millennial and by the end of lunch I might be convinced, at least for the day. Humility. We haven't even gotten into well. what about the tribulation and what about the rapture and what about the antichrist and what about and what about and what about. I know we all got to go home. Where should this lead us? And even as I make that transition, I feel bad because I'm like, boy, so much more probably ought to be said. But I'm not going to. I'm more than happy, though, if you want to talk about these things. Give me a call. We'll get together and look at them together. But where should all of this lead us? I finally want us to turn to a passage of Scripture. Turn with me in your Bible to 1 Peter, chapter 1. 1 Peter, chapter 1. We could turn to lots of places. I might have you turn to another or two. Peter is addressing Christians who... Because of their faithfulness to Christ are going through a hard time. They're being marginalized. And the anticipation may be that things are going to get even worse. In chapter one, verse 13, to these suffering Christians who going through a hard hardship. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Biblical eschatology, all those fascinating things that we think about related to the tribulation and the Antichrist and the rapture and the second coming and the millennial kingdom and all of that. All of biblical eschatology, teaching about the future. Friends, when you read it, when you read the book of Revelation or when you read First Peter, when you read literally, I'm gonna say literally, but literally every book of the New Testament is filled with, has in it texts about the future and it's not for you and me to sit around and ponder out when do we think that's going to happen and this, that, and the other. I mean, yeah, there's some of that but it's to give you and me hope. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Biblical eschatology is to sustain God's people today. With the promise of what is to come. So take all of the stuff we, uh, I'm not so sure, blow all that away. Christ is coming back, judging his enemies, vindicating his people, and establishing a new heavens and new earth where righteousness reigns forevermore. In other words, he wins. And being united to him, you win. So hold on tight. Don't quit. Fight discouragement. Don't take your ball and go home. Don't turn your back on Jesus. Don't wash your hands and be done with him. No matter how hard it gets. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's coming back. And when He does, completely on the grace to be brought to you. Apparently, there's going to be a storehouse of good stuff for you and me when He comes. eschatology is meant to sustain us because God knows between this coming of Christ and that coming of Christ it will not always be easy. The world and all of its allurements seeking to Take us away from following Jesus. Our flesh, which is so intense with its inclination towards sin, and the devil who prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It's like, huh. Yep, fix your hope on that. Paul would say it similarly. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desire and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So hope, hang in there. Verse 14. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, and as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Holiness. Here's another text where eschatology, future, is tied to present holiness. You don't need to turn there. Just listen close. 2 Peter 3. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But we, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. See that? A new heavens and a new earth is coming. Righteousness will dwell there. Look for it. And in the meantime, be like him. Be like him. Hope, holiness, and of course, mission. Your friends, my friends that don't know Jesus, your neighbors and mine who don't know the Savior. God has placed you and me in their lives to let your light shine through the spirit-filled, godly life that you live and to tell them the good, good news that God sent his son into the world for sinners like you and me, for us and for our salvation. You and I became Christians because somewhere along the way, somebody shared the gospel with us. And God, the Holy Spirit, took that preached gospel, that, that shared gospel and did a mighty work and you and I believed We have the privilege, if we'll live into it, of being the conduits by which others may hear that message and the Holy Spirit may do his thing and they put their faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray and then let's sing. Father, would you help me and my brothers and sisters here to fix our hope completely on the grace to be revealed to us at the revelation of Christ. Help us to keep our eyes up and looking to the blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Help us to to ponder anew what is to come, a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And in so doing, O God, would you help us to persevere through the ups and through the downs and through whatever may come our way, when peace like a river attendeth our way or when sorrows like sea billows roll. Help us to keep saying, it's well with my soul. Because we also know. and We cry out, O Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. The Lord will descend. Oh, even so, it is well with my soul. So for us, God, would you help us to endure, to persevere with joy and great faith because your promises are sure. And help us as well to fight for holiness. To put off the old and in Christ Jesus put on the new and be a people of love of purity, of humility, of grace, of kindness, of generosity. Be people like Jesus. And God, maybe this week, maybe this Christmas week, with a family member, a friend, a neighbor, would you open a door for the gospel for each one of us? And would you help us to talk about Christ and the hope that he has brought to us The hope he can bring to them. We'll pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.